Hello, 99Church. It is so good to be with you all again. Um, I'm excited to join in on this series on the subject of the Holy Ghost. And I believe my assignment today is to speak on the topic, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. First, I want to ask you, imagine with me, you are sitting in an upper room around the year 33 AD. And you have the disciples sitting around you. Jesus is speaking and he's giving his farewell address. Just take a moment to just find yourself in that moment. Now, suddenly you hear gasping, shock, and sounds of just sorrow and confusion because Jesus just told the disciples, guys, I'm leaving. I have to go. And as you're kind of just noticing the awkwardness of that moment, a disciple next to you leans over and says, did you hear what he said after that? I think you missed it. He said, it's actually better that I leave. It's actually better that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. At this moment, right here, right now, I'm going to encourage you to make a decision. Which one would you prefer? Would you prefer having Jesus in his physical form, in the flesh. I mean, the disciples walked with him for the last three years, ate with him, slept next to him, did everything with him. They could touch him. They sensed his presence wherever they went. They solved miracles. They witnessed everything. They even heard his tone, his speech, his Aramaic. All, the, all of those things you could have. Or... The Holy Spirit. Which one would you choose? And if we're honest with ourselves, most of us are probably struggling to say the Holy Spirit, if we're honest with ourselves. And the fact that we're struggling, and the fact that our intuitive response is, of course, Jesus. And that's probably what the disciples felt in that upper room. That is that's that brings an issue to the surface. The issue is that's indicating a disconnect, a clear gap between our view of the Holy Spirit and Jesus's view of the Holy Spirit. It's clearly showing us that there's a a amending of a gap that needs to take place between how Jesus valued and appreciated the Holy Spirit, from his own walk with the Holy Spirit and, ha and having prayed that the Father would give the Holy Spirit to his disciples with the shallow understanding that disciples, that the disciples found themselves in and what we may be finding ourselves in today. So if you're a Christian and you're hearing this, these words of Jesus are probably challenging to you. I hope it's challenging to you to make you go, how much of this Holy Spirit, am I really benefiting from in my life? How much of this am I really 
experiencing. And if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, at the least, I believe you're probably wondering, what's the big deal about this entity, this person called the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would say, it's to your advantage that you have him, then me stay here. See, the importance of walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit is so essential to our spirituality in the, in the Christian faith that it's explicitly included in the benediction. If you grew up in the church like I did, the benediction is the last part of the service when the pastor raises his hands and, and really gets dramatic in his deep voice and says the verse uh, coming out of 2 Corinthians verse thir- chapter 13, verse 14, where it says, The grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's not a nice to have. It's a must have in our faith. After you receive the, the sermon, like this sermon on a Sunday, the pastor releases you to go back into the world. Now walk out this word, this message, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Notice he doesn't say, may the power of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the gifts of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the acts of the Holy Spirit, may the fruit even of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The language here is very deliberate, very clear, and it speaks of a companionship, an involvement, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So my prayer as we dig deeper today into God's word is that we would have the same view that Jesus had of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the high view, that that great value of the Holy Spirit being with us, and that we would actually find in our lives, mirrored in our lives, the rich fellowship that we see in the life of Jesus that he had so that we will struggle a little bit less to say, yes, it is to our advantage to have the Holy Spirit. So in order for us to do that, we have to ask a few questions. Um, First of all, we have to see where does the fellowship of the Holy Spirit show up in Scripture? So we won't do too much of a deep dive. We may not have enough time. But we'll look at a couple quick examples in the Old Testament. And then we'll go a little bit deeper into the life of Jesus, which is really our example, right? As disciples of Jesus, we need to see it, capture it, and imitate it. And then lastly, last but not least, we want, we have to ask the question, how do we experience, how do we actually experience a closer fellowship with the Holy Spirit in our lives today? So first, where do we see the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in Scripture? When we're trying to understand something or someone in the Bible, it's usually helpful to begin at the first mention of that thing in scripture. A lot of us misunderstand the Holy Spirit as someone who just kind of emerges in the book of Acts in a very dramatic fashion. He falls with tongues of fire. But that's actually a very wrong characterization of who the Holy Spirit is. That's only one facet of who he is. The first mention of the Holy Spirit is actually in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, the second verse. Many of us know the first verse, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But I wonder if you've ever stopped to meditate on the second verse. The second verse goes, The earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Why does Genesis want to use the verb hovering? Right? We're, we're supposed to draw a clue out of here to, to get to know a little bit about the fellowship right, of the Holy Spirit. God is there. He's creating. He's creating the heavens and the earth. Jesus is there. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And in fellowship, in the Trinitarian fellowship, the Holy Spirit is hovering. Uh, for those of you who don't know me as well, I, I served about three and a half years in the Korean Air Force. And um, it, I wasn't a fighter pilot, but I, was, I served as an interpreting officer. So I followed generals around and I interpreted for them. I was their mouthpiece between U.S. and Korean generals. And oftentimes I get to travel and see a lot of cool fighter jets in these air bases. And most fighter jets, they take off on a runway or an aircraft carrier as they accelerate like crazy, zero to 280. There was one really superior fighter jet, though, at the time of my service that was really catching a lot of international attention, and that was this jet called the F-35. <laughs> the F-35, the distinctive thing about the F-35 was that it was able to take off vertically straight from the ground and hover. And this was a high threat, aerial threat, to other enemies and any moment of combat because it was ready for instant dispatch. It was ready at DEFCON 3 to engage in com combat right away because it would be staging and standby on air. So what does hovering tell us, right? Hover I'm sure you never use that word to describe how the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. Most of us say, I was slain in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell or He touched me. He wrecked me. He rocked me. The first description, though, of the Holy Spirit in the Bible speaks of someone who is hovering. And I think this is an imagery of the Holy Spirit who's present. He's fully present. He's active, but He's not moving on His own volition. He's ready. He's waiting for the fellowship, the command coming from God, the Father, and the activity coming from Jesus. And that's why we see the world at this moment was formless one two it was void there was no form and it was empty the moment holy spirit is released to execute on the word of god let there be light now there was form in the area of formlessness now there was fullness in an area that was empty think about your own life think about the journey that god brought you on as you met as you meet jesus he takes your life that is without order, without form, without purpose. And the Holy Spirit is the agent of showing you who Jesus is and then bringing you fullness. You try to fill your life with all kinds of things and you find yourself empty, but the Holy Spirit brings form into a formless area and he brings fullness into a place that is empty. So right at the beginning of the Bible, we see two things that the Holy Spirit characteristically does every time he works, and that's bringing form and shape to areas that's formless and bringing fullness to areas that's empty. Second quick example that I want to direct our attention to in, um, um, in 
in the Old Testament is the account of uh, the Exodus, the people of God, the Israelites, um, as they come out of slavery, out of bondage into freedom and rest. Um, but the passage that I want us to turn to is actually in the book of Isaiah 63. And there's a really, there's a really neat section in the book of uh, Isaiah 63 where it says, Then he remembered the days of old, where, he, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert? They did not stumble. Verse 14, like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So the other thing that we see now with the Holy Spirit is that he takes God's people out of bondage and into a place of rest. And ultimately, through the wilderness, through the hardship, the desert, the barren land, into the God-ordained destiny, the promised land that God has for them. So in the Old Testament, to sum it up, we see the Holy Spirit at the start. He's hovering. He brings form into areas where there is no form and he fills up the areas that are empty and he ultimately brings God's people out of bondage into rest and into the glorious destiny that God has for them. And that, if you think about it, is exactly how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He brings form. He forms us into the likeness of Jesus. He fills us up with the love of Jesus. And he also takes us on the journey of sanctification such that we arrive at the promised land of finding ourselves in eternal oneness with Christ. Now, let's pivot to that second question of where do we see the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus? And we'll quickly go through four key uh, milestones and spotlights. Conception. Um, We'll go through events surrounding Jesus' baptism, crucifixion, and resurrection. Conception, baptism, crucifixion, and resurrection. So let's start with conception. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. I want to ask you to pay attention to the language here. It says, the angel answered her. The angel here is Gabriel, and her is Mary. He's announcing um, the birth of Christ that will come through Mary. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There's so much to unpack here, but we'll just take a quick stop here. Notice again the language used by Luke. It says the Holy Spirit and His power will overshadow you. Doesn't that seem a little reminiscent of hovering? Right? And, and, and what is the Holy Spirit doing here? He's bringing form to a formless womb. He's bringing fullness into an utterly empty womb. Why do I say utterly? Mary was not one of those, uh, one of those women that struggled or suffered with barrenness. It's not like she tried to have kids. She was a virgin. Hello. Somebody, she was a capital V virgin. That's 
that's as empty as it gets and that's as formless as it gets. But it's the Holy Spirit who overshadows, hovers over Mary and does the work that is characteristic of him and that is he brings the embryo of the God-man Jesus Christ into a human womb and that's not even fertile, a dead womb of not even sorry not dead sorry a virgin womb an empty womb and breathes the life of jesus in there and begins the nine month process of fellowshipping the holy spirit and jesus fellowshipping in the womb of mary now there's something else that we have to catch here and that is the holy spirit coming upon mary it wasn't just to execute the conception of this divine man, Jesus. But it also is a marking, is an anointing being placed on Mary to say, this child that will come forth from your womb, this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the one who will bring God's people out of not physical bondage, but a greater exodus out of eternal death and damnation to eternal life and the promised land. And that's why we can clearly see this in in the first sermon that this child, later grown up as Jesus, gives. Isaiah 61, 1. Jesus precisely points his listeners to the fact that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's how I got here, and that's how the Spirit of God is in in act in motion right now for me to deliver and fulfill this prophecy because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit was powerfully evident as early as the conception and the birth of the God-man Jesus. Now let's quickly go over the other three examples here. Baptism. I think this is this should be a quick one. We're, we're all familiar with the image of the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on Him. But more than just that moment, what I want us to really pick up from here in terms of finding out the fellowship, like getting clues on the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in this season of Jesus' life is that this was, this was evident of Jesus' submission to the Holy Spirit. Leading up to the baptism, between conception and birth, there's a lot that took place. It says Jesus grew in favor with God and man. How can Jesus grow in favor with God? doesn't make sense. The only interpretation that we can draw with our human finite brain is that he submitted to the Holy Spirit. He, he f- submitted to the functional leadership of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who's bringing him towards the ultimate destiny, the mission that God has for him. Baptism was just one inaugural public moment where the Holy Spirit showed that. And then even after that, we see in verse uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, right after the baptism, it, is, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So around, with the events surrounding the baptism, we see that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit was there to develop Jesus, send him forth, and also bring him through a time of testing and temptation in the wilderness. 
let's fast forward to the crucifixion. The Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in, in, in the event of the crucifixion is actually not explicitly stated. Like we can't see a verse where it says the Holy Spirit helped Jesus uh, carry his cross. There's nothing like that. So we have to infer again. We have to look a little deeper. And just think of, think about what the Cal, what Calvary and what the crucifixion symbolizes. It's the sacrifice of a sinless, the most purest Lamb of God. Otherwise, substitution of atonement, the atonement for our sins, cannot take place unless He is perfectly, impeccably sinless and holy. Jesus was preserved and kept holy through the fellowship, the support, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the, the, the fact that he was able to stay completely pure and perfect, that was something that the Holy Spirit was hovering over every second to make sure of. I mean, let me turn to just somebody who's way smarter and way more uh, theologically brilliant than I am. John Piper says this, I assume that some of the greatest temptations for Jesus to be disobedient to the mission happened in the hours just before he breathed his last. Those were the worst moments of suffering. And if there were any time when he was going to make shipwreck of his faith and fail in his mission, it would be then. If there were any time when the Holy Spirit was active, surely he was active in strengthening and helping Jesus persevere to the end in holiness and faith. So I would say... Okay, catch this. Our very salvation hangs on the involvement of the Holy Spirit in the moment of the crucifixion. Hallelujah. That's amazing. The Holy that the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit was certainly not a nice to have for Jesus. Now let's again culminate here into the moment of the resurrection. We know from Romans 8:11 that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we know that it was the Holy Spirit, very explicitly, that raised Jesus from the dead. But I want to ask you, have you ever stopped to really meditate on the, on the, the scene of the resurrection, the moment of the resurrection? Maybe some of us do that around the time of Easter. But in, 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 in preparation, preparing for this message and meditating on this, I was so captivated by catching catching the scene from the perspective of the Holy Spirit. Again, the intimate, the same intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit that was in the womb of a virgin woman for nine months, creating and forming and bringing fullness into 100% divine, 100% man Jesus when that person is crucified and crushed and completely just destroyed it is the same Holy Spirit that comes into a dark quiet unseen tomb and breathes the life of God the breath of God the Ruah the Numa that's the name of the Holy Spirit into the dead body of Jesus. And that's how Jesus comes back to life. And if we can 
just kind of wrap up the four examples here and, and, and bring it into one point. We can draw a lot of observations here, but the one consistent thing that we see about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit did some of his most important and powerful work where prying eyes can never see in just utter personal secrecy in the womb no one can see inside the womb of how that was how that was executed or even through the desert the wilderness when Jesus is being tempted all in solitude when Jesus is being he's he's crying out and praying with not just tears but with blood sweating blood in the garden of gethsemane the holy spirit is preserving him keeping him strong on the mission and now even past crucifixion in the resurrection it's the holy spirit saying hey i'm here it's time to go dominate satan and crush the devil and bring victory to the people of god so i hope the fact that we surveyed through the life of Jesus and how the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is highlighted in these four incidents gives us a picture of what what we can expect as as disciples of Christ, right? Through regeneration, we are reborn. We're conceived through the Holy Spirit. God also brings us out of the bondage of sin, out of the exodus, the exodus out of our old life into a new nature so that we are on the journey now to becoming like Christ, becoming restored into the image of God that we were originally designed for. And in our resurrection one day, it is the Spirit who will give life to our mortal bodies. So now where do we find ourselves in today? That's the continuum of our life. And that's where the Holy Spirit, every stage the Holy Spirit is there. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is there. But where are we today? We're right here in this stage, this thing called sanctification. The journey of a Christian usually goes from condemnation to salvation and then sanctification. The Holy Spirit is active, and He is not only active, but He's active because He's committed to our sanctification. And if we want to find the Holy Spirit, so this is where we pivot to understanding how we can experience more richly the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we can't cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We can't engage Him unless we first recognize Him, unless we know where He is, unless we see Him. We have to have the eyes to see Him and we need to know what we're looking for. And if we can understand first and foremost that the Holy Spirit is more committed to our sanctification than even we are ourselves, then it should be quite clear to us where we can begin to look for Him in our lives. And that's in the moments and in the context of sanctification and oftentimes in secrecy in the places that are unseen. Uh, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite uh, theologian and authors, he's now gone to be with the Lord. He says, spiritual formation 
or sanctification for the Christian basically refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. This is also uh, reinforced in scriptures like Ezekiel 36 where God says, I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in all my statutes. So it's clear that the sanctification project, if you will, is a top priority for the Holy Spirit in this day and age, in our current moment, in the history and the, and the progression, the narrative of God. So then the key for us, if we want to find the Holy Spirit, we just got to align ourselves in commitment and in, in hot pursuit after actually our sanctification. Mm. And I, so I want to ask you, I want to ask you, my brothers and sisters, how committed are you to your own sanctification? If we look at your calendar, if we look at how you spend your time, if you, we look at how much um, energy and attention or money and resources and how those things are distributed in your life, are they towards the end of your sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus? Is that evident? Because if it's not, then you're living a life that can be lived absent of the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit if you're not pursuing the project that He's committed to. The Holy Spirit wants to make us more like Jesus. He wants to sanctify us. So we need to find ourselves on, on a spectrum here. If you could imagine the words unaware, engaged, um, or unaware, aware, engaged, and fully cooperating. We're, we're somewhere in this continuum. Unaware, you're just, you're living a life that doesn't even need the Holy Spirit. You're, why? Because you can control all the things that are seen, all the things that are within your, your pursuits. You don't need the Holy Spirit. Some of us are aware. We know the Holy Spirit is important. Um, but we're distracted. We're distracted by other priorities. And sanctification sits low on our priorities. Some of us are engaged. Some of us, we, we do seek the Holy Spirit. We do invite Him. But we limit Him to a certain context only. On stage, in crowded arenas, or in very like big revival meetings. What we want to do is get to fully cooperating with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus, the God-man, lived in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, how arrogant do we have to be to think that we don't need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? So my challenge to us, again, is what consumes your attention? What consumes your attention? And I'd like to kind of break it up into two categories of the seen and unseen. The seen, we can define it as the flesh, how others perceive you. It could be worldly success, money, promotion at work, buying a house, uh, politics, amplifying your voice, your opinion, your view. Um, of what is justice, what is right, your physical beauty. 
uh, and being overly obsessive and preoccupied with health, um, or even in the spiritual sense of the word, the things that are seen, um, when you only have an appearance of godliness and you only have, uh, you put up an exterior of that without having a true intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? The unseen. How do we divide the unseen? The unseen are the things of the spirit, things that are not seen, like the knowledge of God, love for God, affection for God, pursuit of Jesus to imitate Him. It's sanctification. It's 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 a humility to say, God, search my heart. All of these things, preparation to be to be effective instruments of God on this earth, prayer, intercession, spiritual discipline, fasting. All of these things are done in the in a place that is unseen. But the reality is that we live in a fallen world where everything in this world, the culture, the spirit of the age, demands your attention to be on the things that are seen, the things that are of the flesh. And this is an, this idea of uh, what a, a pastor named Edmund Chen calls ontological inversion with the sin, the fall of man, even though we were created in the image of God as spiritual beings, right? God is spirit, so we are spirit, spiritual beings with a physical body. Now that has been inversed, we live with the deception, thinking that we are first physical beings, mm. trying to have spiritual experiences once a while. And the, this is why it's so hard for us to prioritize sanctification and look for the Holy Spirit because everything in this world is naturally telling us, just fulfill the demands of your flesh. Just be committed to the demands of your seen things of life. And those things are really strong as they pull us. There's, there's really then only two ways that we can do this. There's only two ways to walk. You either walk in the flesh or you walk in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Walking in the flesh is you're committed. You're like committed to fulfill the demands of the flesh. And that's, by the way, all the devil wants. All the devil wants is for you to be so committed to you. The devil wants you to be so committed to your demands of the things that are seen and felt and controllable on the earth. He doesn't want you to start setting your mind on the things that are unseen the things of the spirit. Uh, I, I have to share uh, this illustration or this quote um, from the book, The Screwtape Letters. Um, if you have time, I highly encourage you to read this book. It's an amazing piece of satirical Christian literature by C.S. Lewis. Uh, he actually dedicated the book to his friend Tolkien. Uh, but the book is basically um, a senior demon, the uncle. Uh, his name is Screwtape. Uh, it's a series of letters that he writes to his nephew, Wormwood. That's why it's called the Screwtape Letters. And in these letters, he's mentoring his junior tempter um, to secure the damnation, basically, of this British guy that they, they call the patient. And here's a quote where it's just packed with theological truth and, and is sobering. Um, so the senior demon Screwtape says, It is funny how mortals always picture us 
as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. In reality, the enemy's work is best done by keeping the things of the spirit, the things that are unseen because they're hard to see anyway, out of our minds. And so my encouragement to us, my prayer for myself, is that we would begin to take a deliberate effort to say, no, I will not fulfill the demands of my flesh because that's exactly what the devil wants me to be committed to. But Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny your right to yourself. Deny yourself to yourself. And you have to set your mind. Now that you have a new nature, you've been born by the Holy Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And these things are not seen. They're, they're in secret. They're in the spiritual realm. That's why we have to have the eyes to see them. Romans 8, 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I want to close um, with this with this scripture from Galatians 5.25. And it's really simple. And this is the this is where we bring it home. This is the takeaway. Thank you for giving me your virtual attention for this long. Um, Galatians 5.25 says, If we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. If we have life now by the Holy Spirit, just keep in step with Him. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, let Him take control. That's all that this means. It's just let the desires of the desires produced by the Spirit be stronger than the desires that you see the devil encouraging you to fulfill and to be committed to. But let's get obsessed with this sanctification project. Let's get just enamored with the fellowship, the secrecy, the intimacy that the Holy Spirit provides when we are laser-focused in the face of Jesus and wanting to become more like Him. When When we come to this place of prioritizing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we will find ourselves praying not so much, Holy Spirit, I want more of you, I want more of you, in the sensational sense that, God, I want to just experience you in the seen and in the natural. Those are not bad, right? We don't want to diminish those things. But the stronger prayer that you're going to find in your heart is that, Holy Spirit, Would you have more of me? I surrender this area in my life. Would you have more? Would you have more control in my life? Would you have more of me? I deny myself of the commitment towards the things of the flesh, but I want to be committed to the things of the spirit. Have your way in me. Being filled with the spirit ultimately means that we become more and more given over to Him such that our lives, when surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we see more fruit of the Holy Spirit, more activity, more control, more hovering, more 
power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So, my prayer, just like the prayer of Apostle Paul, I want to end with the words of this benediction, and that is, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless 99 Church.